awesome, awesome, awesome job, choirs. It don't get any better straight out of the book of Psalms, right? Take the word of God, put music to it, and sing it. It's what Moses did, what the psalmist did. They ain't nothing like putting the word of God to music and just spending some time praising him, amen? 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll be turning in your Bibles while the Merge Middle School is making their over. If any of you guys have middle school students, you're new, visiting, they have church right next door. They're welcome to go over and join them. We are vacating the balcony with our children's church, stepping out. If you want to catch them in the foyer, if you got any small ones, fifth grade and under, certainly tag up with them. I do want to say happy, happy Father's Day to those of you that are here, those of you that are, that are tuned in. I appreciate you being in the house of God. I appreciate you being here, having your family here, having your, your children here. I want to say thank you to visitors real quick. I certainly forgot that. Last week, it's not that we don't appreciate you being here. Um, just, just thankful that you chose Faith Baptist Church to be the place you worship today. If you don't mind, there's a little packet of information. should be right in one of the little packets right there in front of you in the pew. If not, if you get somebody just hand you one from the other end or another pew or something, there's a connect card in there. I'd appreciate if you'd fill that out. And if you got time after the service, I'd love to get to meet you right down here if you got a little bit of time to stay and talk. If not... The black box and the foyer out there for offerings. You just drop that connect card, lay it on the Father's Day table. You put it out there. I'll hunt it up afterwards. It's a blessing to, to have you guys here. Um, for those of you who have committed this year to read the Word of God through this year, I want to say congratulations to you. You're well past halfway now. Yeah, we're well past halfway. I just, um, I have no doubt. I have no doubt God's up to something big. When a group of people, group of people commit to read the word of God together, you got to know that God's up to something among us. Amen. First Timothy chapter six, verse number 11. Gonna look at one verse. But thou, O man of God, is that not an honor to be called a man of God? Redeemed of the blood, washed in the blood, name written in heaven. Thou, O man of God, flee these things. He says, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So I want to look this morning at the seven qualities of a godly man. Father, thank you so much for being so good, God. I pray you'd help us, Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that heart of worship would be more than just a song. It'd be our heart, God. I pray that we not just worship you through music and through a few minutes of the preaching of your word, but may we worship you with our lives, God. May we live holy and completely pleasing to you, Father. I pray that everything we do in this place be pleasing to you, Father. I ask you, would you touch each one of us, God? I pray you'd shape us and mold us and make us into what you'd have us to be, God. We love you. You've been good to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So, so I appreciate you fathers that, that are here. I appreciate you being here on Father's Day. I appreciate you being tuned in on Father's Day. But I, I appreciate the fathers that are here. Y'all get that are here. Not, not today. You, you're here. You, you are plugged in here. You're serving here. You're worshiping here. You're plugged in to the word of God. You're making a difference in the lives of, of your family. You're making a difference in the lives of your children. You're making a difference in the lives of the people around you serving God and, and influencing lives. Bottom line is we will have an influence on, on people around us. Everybody around us on a daily basis will be affected by how we act. 
If we act worldly, then we're putting out a negative effect onto those around us. But if we act godly according to the scripture, then we're putting out a, a godly effect. We're putting out a, a good effect. You understand that if you claim to be a Christian and you come to the house of God on Sunday morning and you go to work and claim to be a Christian and you go to the ball game and you claim to be a Christian and you, and you go to the store and you claim to be a Christian, act like one. Because if you, if you go around and you claim to be a Christian and then you act like the devil on wheels at the ball game because the call didn't go your way. And then you act like, any kids in here? I got in trouble the last time I said idiot. I don't see any. You act like an idiot because something didn't go your way in the line at the store. And you put out, can, can I tell you, if you claim to be a Christian in the world around you, however you act, that's what a Christian is. That, that's, that's the example. So we affect people that we're around, either positive or, or, or negative. I appreciate you guys being godly men, setting a, a godly example, trying to make a, a godly difference in the lives of, of people around us. The Word of God instructs us on how to be good men. He says in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23, he says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That, that's ordered by the book, and that's ordered by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The steps of a good man, that's every step. That's not Sunday morning step from 1030 to 12. That's not Sunday afternoon on the way home. That, that's every step of a good man is ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. That, that means that, that a good man will follow the written word of God. Thank you, I got one, come on. A good man will follow the already written Already revealed word of God. Micah chapter 6 says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require thee? How many would like to know that right now? What is it God wants me to do? What is it God requires out of my life? What would God, does he want me to go to, to a foreign mission field? Does he want me to, to, to become a preacher? Does he want me to teach Sunday school? Does he want me to share the gospel at work? What is it that the, the Lord requires of thee? Well, he wrote it right there in the scripture. What is it that the Lord doth require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God? Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? That's what God requires out of our lives. Do justly, love mercy. I love mercy when it's applied to me. Anybody love mercy applied to me? Anybody thankful that we have a merciful God? But as we have been given, we're supposed to what? Yeah. So, so to, to be merciful and to walk home with God. So God gives us instructions on how to be a good man in this life. He also gives us some instructions there on how to be a good father. In the book of Proverbs chapter 22, he says in verse number six, that we're to train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. I'm living proof that you can be raised in one of the best Christian homes on this planet and live like the devil for about the first half of your, well, ain't half. I'm way older than that now. For the first 23 years of your life, you can live like the devil. Can I just put a little time out? You can be carried to church. You can act holy as the rest of them. I'm just telling you for me, this is my personal life. I'm telling you, I know it can be done. I've done it. I've lived it. You can be carried to church. You can act as holy as the rest of them. Your vocabulary can be perfect when mom and dad's around. Your vocabulary can be perfect when you're around Christians around the church. But the rest of the time, people go, you go to church? Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
So, so we're supposed to, to live a life. So, so to train up the child in the way to go doesn't mean that the child's never going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're going to have the perfect child. They'll never stray. They'll never do things against God. But what it does mean, if you bring them to the house of God and you instill the word of God, they will never forget what God taught them. They will never forget the things that's there. And if you will train a child up on the way they should go, bring them to the house of God, teach them the things of God. Listen, it is not the church's job to teach your children. Our job is to enforce what you teach them at home. There ought to be some amens out of some moms and dads. It's not our job to teach them everything they know about the word of God. That's your job, 24-7, 365. Our job is to bring them in here and support you. Our job as children's church and middle school and even high school is to try to support what you've taught them in the word of God. So you train them up in the way they should go. It doesn't mean that they'll never get out there, but it means they'll never get away from it. If you train a child up in the way they should go and you do what mom and dad is supposed to do every day, pray for your children. They'll get out of reach of you. They'll get out of sight of you. They'll get out of touch with you sometimes, but they will never get past the outstretched arm of the Holy Spirit of God. They will never get so far out that the Holy Spirit can't go with them. They will never put themselves in such a dangerous situation that the Holy Spirit of God can't protect them. You can't. You can't go with them. You'd probably be appalled to know where they were. But they can never get past the reach of the Holy Spirit if we'll follow what the book says. To train a child up when he's old and not depart from it. One thing, if you want to look here on your bulletin, I gave you some notes on the back. We can't train a child in the way until we know the way and are living in the way. L listen, training a child up in the word of God is not do as I say do. Training a child of God in the way is not setting the standard by lips, but not living the standard by life. We cannot train a child up in the way, in the things of God, unless number one, we know. And we can't know unless we read it. You can't get it in a few minutes on Sunday morning. To know the way, we have to read the way. And that's part of what reading the Bible through in a year is this year. Is that God can't recall what we've never put in. He says, I can recall it. He can put it in. He can remind us of what he's written. He can't remind us of something that we've never read. But if we put it in. So, so it's, it's up to us to live the life in front of them so that we're living in the way. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, the apostle Paul said in chapter 6 and verse number 4, he said, you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So for, for those of you who are fathers, for those of you who plan to be fathers, it is of extreme importance that we understand the role of a father. Now, here's the truth. Whether you're a father or not, the word of God's the same towards godly men. Whether you're a man or not, the word of God's the same toward godly women. God, God, God has a, a plan for us to, to live. You know, any, any male can produce a child. But it takes a man to raise one. And it takes a godly man to raise a godly one. The world's, the world's man cannot raise a, a, a godly man. So, so in order to be good fathers, we, we must first be good men. But we're supposed to be good men whether we're a father or not, right? Go ahead, ladies. You can plug in on this too. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know that you understand how important you are. Men, in God's eyes, 
in God's economy and everything are, are extremely important. Whether you want to be or not, you are the difference in the lives of people around you. Whether you want to be or not, you are the difference in your home. You are the difference in your wife. You are the difference in your children. You are the difference in, in your surrounding. Men, sorry ladies, time out just a minute. Men, you're so important that God chose in his word to put you over the affairs of the home. You're going to be held accountable. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Your wife may be doing a fantastic job of getting up every Sunday morning and getting your children ready and making sure the family gets to church. But don't think you ain't got one coming. God put you responsible for that. It's up to the man to get them up on Sunday morning. It's up to the man to make sure that the family is here and, and dressed and in a place dressed or, and in the house of God. God. God sees man is so important that he put him over the role. I'm not saying a lot of men haven't dropped the ball. And a lot of ladies are going to get some rewards in heaven because they've had to step up and do the role of the mom and the dad. We'll look at it in just a minute. That's one of the reasons we're in the trouble that we're in in this country. God put men over the affairs of raising the children. But understand, he means raising godly children. Amen. Not making sure they know the best places to fish and the best way to cast a bait caster and the best way to shoot a rifle and the best way to shoot a shotgun and the best. Oh, that's great. That, 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 that's all not, not the best way to hit a golf ball, not the best way to hit a baseball. God expects you to be over the children, but he expects you to be over the children in the right things. Make priority, priority, and things of this world are not the priority. God sees men as so important. Read the book. God put men over the affairs of the church. So, so God sees men as extremely important. Your presence in the home is extremely important. Your position in the home is extremely important. Your purpose in the home, your purpose in church, your purpose in life is extremely important according to God. So I want to look here at the, these seven qualities mentioned by Paul in, in our text this morning. But before I look at those, I, I want to make sure we understand why the role of the father is so important. Some of, I got some statistics here. Some of these are from the National Center for Fathering. Some of these are from the fatherless generation. Now, when talking about fatherlessness, these statistics here are not limited to biological fathers. They are limited to a father's presence in the home. A lot of you had to step up to the plate. You're raising children that are not your biological children. They became your children when their mother became your wife. But, but it's still up to you as the father figure in that home to train a child up in the way that you go. Your role is very important. So the statistics here relating to fatherless homes, it says 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. PolitiFact records that 90% of felons come from fatherless homes. Rochester Research and Statistics say 58% of women in prison come from fatherless homes. Dad, you got a big impact on your daughters too. You want your daughters to be picky and marry a good man and live the right example in front of them. And it don't matter if they're not picky and can't find one. That means they can't find one as good as you. <laughs> 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 80% of all those incarcerated for rape come from fatherless homes. 
80% of those who deal with anger issues come from fatherless homes. 70% of all teen pregnancies come from fatherless homes. You kind of get the idea? On the contrary, mentor.org says that children living with a father figure in the home are 55% more likely to enroll in college. 78% more likely to volunteer regularly for the benefit of helping others. That's a pretty big deal. They are 46% less likely to use drugs. 81% more likely to participate in sports or extracurricular activities. And they are three times more likely to hold leadership positions. Now, that is the statistics. But the definition of statistics is a collection of facts representing the state of a society. The facts of the condition of a nation and the people of that nation. Those are called statistics because they represent the facts. Here's my definition. Statistics are simply a numerical proof of what the facts state. So here's what the statistics, the, the numerical proof. Here's what the facts say about the United States of America. From This is data from the United States Census Bureau. It says that nearly 18.5 million children grow up without fathers, which in, re, in return led, y'all ready? The United States owns the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. What an embarrassing title for the most blessed nation in the world to own. How do we fix it? How do we change that? How, how do we not be that nation? I, I can answer that by being godly fathers. By, by being godly men in the home. But, but we can't be a godly father and, and raise godly children if we're not living a godly life. A godly life so much more than an occasional visit to the church house on Sunday morning. A godly life is so much more than just making it to Sunday morning services two or three times a month. A godly life is so much more. In, in our text, Paul describes how to be a man of God. So <clears throat> I originally, and, and I know I, I know I didn't miss it. I had written a message on worship, Lord willing, maybe that'll be next week. And then they pop up here and sing Heart of Worship. And I'm like, God, did I miss it? But I'm, I'm fully convinced that I didn't. The heart of worship's real. And the heart of worship is what it takes for men to be godly men. But when I, I have to have them in by Monday or Tuesday now so we can get the bulletin printed and get everything to you. So I originally titled it Six Qualities of a Good Man. But I had to go back and change that. Because actually I see that, that there's, there's seven things here that, that Paul mentions. As I begin studying, I realize that the first thing we have to do, I mean the absolute first is for any of the other. And, and I didn't read the verses prior to, but we're going to scan over them right now. We can't be a man of God until we flee some things. See, see what the very thing in there, flee, oh man of God, it talks about fleeing from the old life of sin. If you're a child of God, you're a Christian, you're not who you used to be. And if you are, I'm sorry, you're probably not a child of God. You cannot be changed on the inside and not change on the outside. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and feel comfortable living in the same old life you used to live in. You cannot be filled with the Holy Ghost of God, filled with the goodness of God, and led by the Spirit of God and be comfortable living in that same old lifestyle. 
So the first thing he says, if we're going to be a man of God, the first thing we got to do is flee what we used to be. Flee, flee the old things of life. And if you back up and look, there, there's some things that you got to flee fornication, flee idolatry, flee uh, adultery, flee anger and, and bitterness, flee from, from hate and, and envy, flee from the love and pursuit of money. Can I tell you, that drives, pulls more men away trying to pursue something that you can't keep while you're letting go of the only thing you can have. You'll never lose the things you do for God. The rewards are always there. But man, invest so much time in the love and pursuit of money. I understand you got to take care of your family. I understand that, that God's put you there to be a provider. But I also understand that God can do that in the amount of time it takes to work. It's all that excessiveness stuff that drives us crazy. Well, that's all free. I'm sorry. Flee. Flee from the things of the world. Flee from that, that old life of sin. The very first thing that we must do is flee from our old sinful nature. Flee from what we were so that we might pursue the things of God. Paul says the first of the six that we're supposed to follow after. He says we're to, to follow after righteousness. That, that means that we are to pursue Christian character. We are to strive to be Christ-like. How do we do that? How do we be Christ-like? We already looked at what, what God expects of us. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, talking about Jesus, it says that he went about doing good. So how do you be Christ-like? Go about doing good. We want to be Christ-like. We want to represent Christ in a positive way. Then we're to live our life to, to go about doing good. John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus is talking about the Father that sent him. He said, for I always do those things that please him. I do always, always those things that please God. You know what our problem is? If you're anything like me, we're more prone to do those things that please who? Jesus says, I didn't come here to please me. I came here to please the one that sent me. I came here to be pleasing to the Father. See, see, one thing is a fact. We can never be good on a consistent basis if we're not first saved. You, you can forget it if you're not saved. You can fight. I, I'm the one. I've tried it. I'm, I'm the one that tried the church game on Sunday and, and tried to be good at other times. I'm the one that tried to change my vocabulary while I was still lost. I'm the one that tried to tighten up the ship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I'm the one that, that in my 20s moved back into my parents' house for about a year living with my mom and dad and working for my dad. I needed to tighten up some vocabulary to keep them getting beat to death. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My mom would have beat the starch out of me if she knew some of the things I said. I've tried. I've tried to do right. I've tried to live better. I've tried to be right without being saved. You may can do it. This one can't. I got serious doubts about anybody can. Because it wasn't anything changed until the Holy Spirit got in me. I can remember. I can remember being at work one time after I got saved. Man, I mean, anybody have a bad day at work? Nobody? Anybody have a bad day at work? Anybody ever know that when the bad day starts, it just rolls like a ball? It's like it just keeps coming. It's one thing. And you get a, Lord, what's next? And, and, and yeah, I'm trying to be a Christian. You know, I just got saved a month ago. I, I, I was trying to be a Christian. And, and man, it's one thing after another. I'm doing something. But then, then that hammer somehow missed what it was supposed to hit. And it hit the wrong nail. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I barked out two or three adjectives that aren't supposed to come out of a child of God's mouth. 
Straight up truth. I felt the Holy Spirit say, does your finger feel any better? Did it help you any? You feel better now? Now, now that you've blown out and done, did it, did it change anything? The truth is, no, it doesn't. The only thing that changed anything was the Holy Spirit in me. So I'm telling you from proof within myself, you can be a much better man. I get that. But within myself, without Christ guiding us, without being saved, without being redeemed, without having the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is no way to try to live a consistently good life. If we are saved, then we do have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit inside of us will lead God and direct us to do that, which is what? Good. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything contrary to good, not to anybody, not to anything. Nothing will be contrary to the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that directs us to do good things. So if, if we're going to go about, if we're going to go about and, and be Christ-like, then we have to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. And we have to go about every day doing that which is good. Doing, remember we talked about, what was that, a week or two ago, we talked about the five frogs on a log, four decided to jump in, how many still on the log? Five, deciding to do something and doing something is two completely different things. So we can't decide to do good, we have, we have to do good. Paul says in the text next that we're to, to follow after, we are to, to seek after, to pursue that, that follow after the word simply means to pursue. So we're to pursue righteousness. Now he said that we're to pursue godliness. Now, if, if God is righteous, then what's the difference between pursuing righteousness and pursuing godliness? Righteous is character. Godliness is holiness. We can't have a righteous character if we don't have a godly holiness. First Peter chapter 1, he says in verse 15, He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. Y'all ready? I'll give you a tidbit, and then we'll move on to the next one. You cannot be holy if you do not read this holy book. You cannot be holy if you do not spend time daily in holy prayer. You cannot be holy unless you are associated with holy. He didn't say, be ye holy, because I said to. He said, be ye holy for what? I am holy. Holy. That means we're supposed to be like God. The third thing he says, that we're to pursue after faith. Faith is the central piece. Faith is the necessary piece that we must have if we're going to follow after God. The word of faith directs our attention to the word of God. Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So, so we must have the word of God instilled if we're going to have faith. At no point does Jesus Christ ever deviate from the word of God. He lived his life in perfect, complete accordance with the scripture that was written. The Old Testament law and the prophets were already there. And, and he never deviated from the book. Psalms chapter 40, verse 7 and 8. He says, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Hebrews 10, 17, the New Testament repeats it. Then said, I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So the word faith directs our attention to the word of God. Because to be a man of God, we must live our lives according to the word of God. Anybody got that? To be a man of God, we must live our lives according to the word of God. We cannot be a man of God if we do not daily read the word of God. It is impossible. 
possible to live a godly life and not read God's book. Oh, it's so quiet in here, man. Somebody say amen to make me feel like you're getting it. It is impossible to live a godly life and not read God's book. This is the expectation. This is the written. This is the instructions. Well, I can't use instructions because all of us proud men throw them away right to start with. And then we wonder why we have all them pieces left. And usually the pieces left, you got to go back to about step three out of 35 to put that one back in. So by the time you get it together according to the instructions, well, 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 moving right along. Number four, Paul says if we're going to be a man of God, then we have to follow after love. The word, of, the word, the word love here directs our attention to the spirit of God because God is love. He said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 16 says that God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. If we are Christians, and we are of Christ, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we know that we've been given a spirit of love. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Somewhere we lost the sound mind part, but we're supposed to have the love part. We can't be a man of God and not be a man of love. The, the very first and greatest commandment in all the law, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is the first and great commandment to what? To love. To love God. What is the second commandment? It's the first one that applies to men. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So everything in this, what he says is if you, number one, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will not sin against God. You will not deliberately do that that opposes God if you love him. And here's your second one. If you love your neighbor, if you love fellow man, if you love people around you as yourself, you will do them no evil. You will do them no harm. You won't steal from your neighbor if you love your neighbor. You, you won't curse your neighbor if you love your neighbor. You won't talk about them behind their back and tear them down if you love them. So, so if we're going to be a man of God, we, we have to be a, a people of love. Jesus gives us a pretty tall order in that. Yeah, I realize we have to love our, our spouse. That, that comes pretty easy. We have to love our children. That comes pretty easy. We have to love our friends. That comes pretty easy because it's people we chose. If we don't like them, they're not a friend. We hang around people we like, right? And people that act like they like us, whether they do or not. But Jesus said, you ain't done nothing. There. The Pharisees do that. He said, loving them, you ain't done nothing. He said, the world out there does that. They, they, they love the ones around them. They love their friends. He said, you want to be holy? You want to be a man of God? Love your enemy. Love those that spitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. How do you do that? How do you love the one that's constantly tearing you down, the one that's constantly rubbing you wrong, the one that's constantly stirring up lies and garbage about you, the one that's constantly putting out? How do you love that person? It's really not as difficult as it seems. You ready? Pray for them. Sorry, but it really is that simple. You want to love your enemy, the one out there that grates your nerves the most. You ain't got to get into some 15-minute long 
poor for God to open the windows of heaven. Just pray for them. Just God, just bless them today. Hand be upon them. I've prayed some of the most ridiculous prayers in the world. God, I can't stand them, and you know it. At some point, you just got to be real. But just because they were sick, just because they were sick, I learned this at a very early Christian age, a very early part of my Christian, just because they were sick, and I didn't want to see them go blind over diabetes. I can hate some folks, but I don't hate nobody that bad. I don't want to see nobody go blind, especially at 30 years old. And so I prayed some ridiculous prayers. God, I can't stand them. You know what they did to me. I don't care if you kill them. Do me a favor. Take them out. I'll be glad they're gone. Boy, just don't let them go blind. And it was sincere. That was sincere. That was, a, that was two sincere parts of that prayer. God, I can't stand them and I don't want them to go blind. But you know what I found out later on? Is all that went away. My animosity went away. My hatred went away. My bitterness went away. I don't have that. I'm telling you, it works. It works because the scripture says it, that, that we are to pray for others. Well, I shouldn't have got off on that because I have no idea where I'm supposed to be preaching now. What point were we even on? Oh, yeah, love. That's when we were on. Well... It only gets worse from here. Number five, Paul says, if we're going to be men of God, if I can get this word to come off my tongue, we are to pursue patience. I make a motion that we move on to number six. Anybody second the motion? All in favor say aye. Oh, you know how much I'd love to do that. But unfortunately, if God put it in there, I can't skip that one. To me, that's just proof there's no godly men on earth. We're supposed to be patient. I found a loophole. I should have been a politician. I found a loophole. I noticed something that I was studying. I noticed what it said. It said that I am to pursue patience. It didn't say I had to be patient. I can't help it run so fast I can't catch it. We have the perfect example in the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation John told us in chapter 1. He said I John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He said I was an isle of Patmos called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We look at the book of Isaiah 8th century BC. Before Christ ever come it talks about the life of Christ. It talks about the death of Christ. It prophesies the cross. It prophesies the crucifixion in, in great detail. Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world waited for that cross. Jesus before the foundation of the world waited to come pay for the sins of man. He waited patiently for man to work it out, but they couldn't work it out any better then than we can now. So Jesus steps out, he comes down and he, and he pays the debt. He, he waited patiently to come to earth and, and to consummate the redemptive purposes of the Father. He got here, he waited another 30 years before he actually started into his Public ministry, the patience of God. He's been waiting more than 2,000 years for God the Father to say, Okay, son, Gabriel, sound off that horn. Go get my children. 
For more than 2,000 years, he's been, he's been patiently waiting. When we look in the Word of God and we look at the Scriptures, you see the patience of Christ all throughout it. We see the patience of Christ, especially with the disciples over and over again, especially that one named Peter, right, Michael Jones? There's old Peter up there. No, you're Peter in the place. We're going to stick right there. Peter can't seem to get out of his own way, Right? He's always, always running that mouth. He's always got something to say. Even when Jesus is prophesying what things are going to happen, they got to be good. He tries to tell Jesus that ain't going to happen. Lord, I had to tell him one time, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. Call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You know, shut your mouth. Get behind me. This is the way it's got to be. You remember the Lord's Supper that, that, that Jesus told him, he said, this night all of you will flee my side. And Peter said, not me. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Everybody else may, but not me. I, I'm going to be here thick and thin. I'm, I'm the one. I'll stay by your side. I'll never, I'll never forsake you. Jesus said three times before this night's over. Three times before the cock crows. What did Peter do? I don't know this man. I know not this man. Curse you. Curse your family. I don't know this man. He remembers he remembers what Jesus said. What's the first thing Jesus told the women? Go tell the disciples and who? As soon as he come back, his patience hadn't run out with Peter. His love is extended, reached out. Thomas, y'all remember the first time in the upper room, the, all, the, all the disciples are there and the doors are shut. Jesus walks in. All of them are there except one. Thomas sitting there. Jesus walks in and, and later after he goes out, they're all telling Thomas all about it. They're all excited. And Thomas says, nah. Didn't happen. I saw him crucified. I saw him die. I, I saw him put him in a tomb. I, I was there when Joseph Arimathea wrapped the body and Nicodemus came and helped. I, I, was, I was there. Uh-uh. I won't believe it unless I thrust my hand in his side and put my finger in the holes. The next time Jesus comes in the room, doors are locked and the disciples are there. Who else is there? Thomas is there. Thomas, because you don't believe there's a door, you can leave now. That's not what he said. He said, Thomas, come here, buddy. Put your hand right here. What? What? I thought I put you, what, well, put, him, put your finger right here. And, and, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they, though they've not seen, yet they believe. Before I move on to the next one. There, there's a lot of examples in the Word of God for the patience of God. But I don't have to look there. I really don't. If I want to see the, the patience of God, all I got to do is look in the mirror. Oh, I should have been killed so many times. God should have erased me so many times. Before I got saved and since I got saved, God has every right to kill me today and throw me in hell. And he'd be right and just in doing so. If I want to see the patience of God, all I got to do is look in the mirror. Anybody know that God is the God they say of second chances? <laughs> but that's only right once. After that, it's the third and the fourth and the fifth. And I'm not sure where my count's at right about now. But I do know one thing. I serve a very patient God. And what the text says is if I'm going to be Christ-like, I've got to be patient. Well, Lord, help us on that one. Then the, the last one, Paul says that if we're, if we're going to be a man of God, 
We've got to pursue meekness. Another word that can be used right here, it means the same thing coming from that Greek word, is humility. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, I know I use it a lot, I do, but, but it is a very simple verse that God gave us on how to heal a nation. Does anybody believe our nation needs some healing? Anybody believe our country is in trouble? And it's going to take more than getting those nutcases out of the White House than that. That's a good start. But not if we don't put somebody godly in it. You put another godless figure behind a godless figure, you still got a godless society being led by a godless man. So there's no doubt that our nation needs some healing. And God gives us a very simple plan on how to heal a nation. But, but the plan's not given to the world. Because God has no dealings with the world, the world has no dealings with God. The only dealing between the world and God and God and the world is, Father, forgive me, I am a sinner. That's the only prayer God is listening for out of a lost and dying world. I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Salvation is the only conversation that God is going to have with the world. So when he talks about healing a nation, especially one nation under God, as we're supposed to be, he's not talking to the world because they can't get it. The White House can't get it. Democrats or Republicans. Nobody can get it. The one that can get it is God's people. Because he said, if my people, that's you and I, Christians, are, are called, my people to call by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sin. Then I'll heal their land. What's number one? Humble themselves. We're not getting anywhere else until we first humble ourselves. It's necessary. How do we do it? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, he said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Both of those words, meek and lowly. If you go to the Greek and you pull up the translation, humble is listed under both of them. Both of those words could be translated over as humble. So, so, Christ demonstrated his meekness and, and his humbleness by keeping his power in check. You know, so many times Jesus could have used his power to overthrow things, to change things, to protect himself, to, to change the situation. Even in the garden, in the, when they came out to arrest him and Peter wanted to use power. Peter pulls his sword out and he cuts off Malchus's ear, the servant's high priest. He wanted to use power and Jesus said, Peter, put up your sword. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Do you not know that I could call on my father and he'd send 12 legions of angels? Do you not know that I could annihilate all of mankind? He said, but this is necessary. This has to happen. This is purposeful. So he used his power at that event, but not to do evil, but to do good. He put Malchus's ear back on. He, he didn't use it to destroy those men. He used it to try to, to change those men. Jesus used his power over and over and over throughout his life, but he didn't use it to tear down. He used it to do, to do good. Jesus used, used his power to, to help, not to destroy, to, to build up, not, not to tear down. He, he used his power. The only thing he used his power to tear down was death in the grave so that we might have eternal life. Humility is not a weakness. We live in a world today that wants to argue that point. I can tell you they're wrong. Humility is not a weakness. Humility is a great strength. 
Humility is the ability to go before God Almighty and pray in a way that will change a nation. Humility is great strength to go before the God who can and see a nation healed. Humility is a great strength. It is, it is the great evidence of Christ living in us and Christ living through us. Band, you guys come on up if you would. Seven words. Starts with flee. Seven character traits. Seven definitions that, that describe the character of Christ. So, so today, being Father's Day, we use these seven traits to describe what it takes to be a good father. But it takes those to be a good man. It takes those to be a good woman. Husband, wife. Father, mother. It takes those. It, this isn't just how to be a good man. It, it is written on how to be a good man. But it doesn't, it doesn't take anybody out. Those are all qualities that, that we ought to display, this, that we're to flee from the things of the world and then follow after these other six characteristics. If we'll do the thing according to the Word of God, it'll change the way we live, but it'll, it'll change our family. It'll change our homes. It'll change our lives. It will make a positive difference in those around us. We're going to make a difference, positive or negative. But if we do things according to the Scripture, we'll make a positive difference. Difference in the people around us. Amen. I want to ask you guys if you would. If you'd stand right where you are. Band's going to sing a song. But I want to ask you a question before they sing. If I could have everyone that can stand. If you can't that's okay. But I want to ask you if you would for just a minute. If you'd bow your heads close your eyes. Let me ask you one question. Do you know that you know that you know. If anything happened today and you died before this day was over, would you go to heaven? Let, let, me, let me put a little bit more on that. Do you know that you'd go to heaven because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? No other reason, not of works, not anything you've done. Do you know because you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know you'd go to heaven? Don't you lift your hand right here in this building. All over the building. All over the building. Thank you. You can put them down. If you could not raise your hand in here or live stream, YouTube, wherever you are, if you could not raise your hand, you can change all of that because God is that God of love. God is that God of patience. God is that God of long suffering. God is that God of salvation. God is that God of redemption. He said, I am that I am. You know what that means? I am. I am everything you need, nothing short, nothing less, nothing missing. I am everything you can trust me. How do you do it? I offered my son for payment of your sin. He came down and paid your debt on Calvary's cross. He shed his own blood for remission of your sin. And I am willing to accept his payment for your sin if you're willing to accept the free gift of God. It's a free gift. I'm offering it to you. It'll wash away every sin you've ever committed. It'll change everything about you. It'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. It will give you an eternal home that will never be taken away. It is a free gift. And I'm offering you the gift. If you reject the gift, you reject me, you reject heaven and everything that comes with me. But if you accept this one free gift, my son, Jesus Christ, 
Accept the blood that he shed at Calvary's cross. I'll forgive your sins and save your soul. And whether you're in here or wherever you are, don't have to be on a Sunday. It doesn't change because we're standing in a church. It doesn't be based on day of the week. Whatever day you hear a message, whatever day the Holy Spirit reaches out and offers you redemption, today is the day. That day is the day. Father, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins in Jesus' precious holy name. God is faithful and just to save your soul if you're faithful to ask. 